Well, I'm so excited that we get to continue our series looking at Romans chapter 8 together. Today, we will start what is essentially a two-part conclusion to Romans 8. So uh, we're kind of landing the plane here on this chapter. And, and uh, my friend Molly is going to read our text for us this morning. If you would, so that we listen a little differently, would you please stand for the reading of Scripture this morning? Okay, I'm reading Romans 8, verses 31 to 34. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Amen. Thank you, Molly. You may have a seat. So I don't know if you've ever uh, had like an argument with someone, uh, like a playful argument with a friend, where you were arguing about something being better, like you were trying to name something better. And I know for me, I might argue with somebody and say like, you know, name something better than like SEC football. It didn't take me long to get to football this morning, so... Uh, or name something better than like the burger at Red Cow. Uh, or you might say like name something better than being on a lake in Minnesota in August, right? Like name something better. And, and the thing that I want to challenge you this morning is, is to name something better than Jesus. Name something better than Jesus. What's better than Jesus? And I, and I truly want you to wrestle with this question for just a moment. Like if you were pressed on it, if you were honest, you know, if you weren't sitting in a sanctuary right now, what might you say, what might you say is better than Jesus? Or like what might somebody else look at your life and th- think that they think that is better than Jesus? Name something better than Jesus. Maybe another way of answering that question is, what do I trust most to get me, uh, get me the life I want most? What do I trust most to get me the life I want most? What's, what's really functionally, truly better than Jesus in my life if I were completely transparent? What do I think is better you know, for some of us, it might be our performance, it might be our jobs, it might be our family, it might be relationship or marriage or, 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 or getting, uh, getting that first date. Like there might be something that we're just like, I need that so badly. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, that hope and dream you have for some future down the road. Maybe, you know, honestly, maybe for some of us, it's like it's our political party being in power. That's the thing that we're like, that's better. I mean, you know, honestly, like we love Jesus, Jesus is good, but we also need this if we're gonna to get to the life that we actually want. But as, as we read this series of questions and answers uh, in Romans chapter eight, what I wanna challenge you in uh, is to try out the goodness of God and to see that it's undefeated. And that's really the case that the apostle Paul is making in these verses through these questions and answers, that the, the goodness of God is undefeated, that we should test it, we should try it, we should, we should see that there's nothing better than Jesus. So he asks this series of questions, and question one is this, what then shall we say in response to these things? So last week, 
Last week we talked about God working for the good of all uh, for, for the good or all the, working all things for the good of those who love them. That God is working all things for our good. And so, what shall we say in response to these things? What shall we say in response to God working all things for our good? Meaning, how should we respond to this? How should we live? And I think the challenge is try it on, test it out. See that it's actually better. See that it's good. And I think that this is an invitation for all of us, whether you're somebody who uh, you got drugged to church this morning and you're kind of standing from a distance and you're not really sure about this Jesus guy or this church thing. And I think this is an invitation for you to try it on. See if it really is better. But for many of us who have been walking uh, in in our faith for, for long seasons, we might have to be also challenged to say, really, like, am I really believing with my whole life, that Jesus is actually better. This is a challenge for all of us. And so he, uh, the Apostle Paul makes this case that Jesus is undefeated, that there is nothing better because listen to answer number one. So question number one, answer number one. Answer number one is actually in the form of a question. If God is for us, who can be against us? And there's a phrase in there that's worth underlining. One theologian said that, that Jesus' career is summarized in four of these words. God is for us, that that's why Jesus came, because God is for us. You should underline that phrase. Uh, and here, here he's stating his thesis. Here's his thesis. His thesis is that God is for us. What can be better than that? God is for us, and not just generically for us. He is for us in Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about what that means in a second, but he is for us in Jesus. What's better than that? So he goes on to test the thesis, a series of questions. Question number two, how will he not also, along with him, along with Christ, graciously give us all things? He says, isn't God a better provider? And it made me think of, uh, maybe you've been hearing this over the last uh, couple of weeks, but maybe think of the words of uh, the new album by that cultural prophet, Taylor Swift, uh, who said, you're on your own, kid. You always have been. And she's saying that I've tried lots of alternatives. We've tried lots of alternatives and we've concluded that we're better off doing it on our own, that, that we are in fact our best provider. Our, what we can give ourselves is best, is better. But the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 is working out, and this is a man who has, has spent his life trying to get to better on his own in all kinds of ways, whether that was opposing and crushing those who disagreed with his interpretation of God, whether that was proving how well he could keep the Jewish law. This was a man who had tried all kinds of alternatives to get to better on his own and concluded decisively that nothing is better than Jesus. That what Jesus had done for him, that nothing was in fact better and that God was a better provider. He goes on to talk about how we know that God is a better provider because answer number two is this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Do you know people who are incredibly generous with everything, big and small, and do you know people that are stingy with small things? Like they're not about to share that. They're not about to give you that. They're not about to ask you, do you want some of this? I think about when I'm sitting at a table, uh, like out to eat with my family or friends, and there's something that I really, really want. Like I really want this pizza from Punch Pizza. And I could think, I should offer if others want a slice of this. 
but it's pretty good pizza. And I'm pretty hungry. And what they have doesn't look that appetizing. So if they offer it back, right, I can be stingy with even little things. How can I be trusted to be generous with big things? And he says, God has been generous with the biggest thing possible. He gave his only son. What's better than that? What won't he do? What can't he do for us more than what he's already done? And then the next question builds on this. It expands on what it means. He did not spare his own son. Question three, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And so this now, like the question enters into like a courtroom drama. And I love a good courtroom drama. I don't know if you do. Maybe you love a good movie or show that's a courtroom drama. I don't know. I have since I was a kid. Uh, Time to Kill was one of my favorite movies as a child, which is a strange movie as a child to have as your favorite movie. Um, but I love a good courtroom drama. Uh, and, and they kind of come in kind of two varieties, right? So one variety of courtroom drama is you've got this defendant who is guilty, but is probably going to get off. And then you have, uh, you, have, you have this like sort of justice is actually brought against them. The, the little guy wins, prevails against some big uh, defendant negative corporation or something that gets defeated. And you think about something like The Rainmaker. The Rainmaker is a good example of this if you've seen that movie with Dustin Hoffman. Um, or the other side is you've got a defendant who's been accused of something but who is innocent. Everyone knows they're innocent, but they're having a hard time getting, uh, getting set free. And so then you have a lawyer come in and help to win the case, bring them justice. Um, and so an example of this would be like My Cousin Vinny. Some, some of you know that movie. If you don't know that movie, um, you're not missing much. But, um, but my cousin Vinny, I think it was Joe Pesci. Uh, and so like uh, it comes in different varieties. And in this courtroom drama that the Apostle Paul is setting up, we are the ones on trial. We are the defendant and we are actually guilty. In fact, for chapters in Romans, he's been making the case that we're guilty that we are out of alignment with who God's made us to be, that we are broken, that we are sinful, that there's a darkness that lurks in every human heart that's threatening to grab us and hold us down and enslave us and carry us down to the depths of brokenness, that we are broken and sinful and that we need help. And yet in this cosmic court battle, the apostle Paul says that miraculously, not only are the charges dismissed, but there is no one to even bring a charge against you that, that no one can be found, that that's how much God has done for you, that, that the charges are gone, they're wiped away, and there is no accuser. Why? Answer three, because it is God who justifies. God is the one who justifies. And so if you've ever been like on a typewriter or a word processor on your computer, uh, the word for when text is out of alignment and it gets put into the right alignment is justify. You justify the text, you put it into alignment. So there's this picture of we are out of alignment and there's only one who can actually put us back into alignment, who can put us in alignment with who we were meant to be. And that is God himself and Paul says, guess what? He does it and he does it freely. That's good news. What's better than that? Final question. Who then is the one who condemns? So if question three in this heavenly courtroom drama is, is who can accuse us, question four is who can judge us? Who can judge us? And whether we realize it or not, we all feel the weight of judgment in our own souls. Like we feel the weight of the judgment of others. We feel the weight of the judgment of ourselves. Some of us are our harshest critics. We feel the weight of judgment in all kinds of ways. 
And if you know the biblical story, we are, we are under the judgment of sin, that we are under the judgment that we have not measured up to who God has made us to be. Who has the right to judge us? Well, again, if, if the story of Jesus' life is God is for us, know that from the very beginning of scripture, God has an answer to this question. If you go back to the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 50, there's actually a very similar courtroom drama playing out. Listen to this. Because the sovereign Lord, because God helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, have I set my face like flint, meaning I am, I, am, I am resolute. I cannot be changed. And I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the Lord, the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? Who will judge me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Every accusation, every charge, every condemnation, every judgment from humans or from God or from yourself, every one of them is going to wear out. It will fade away. The moths will eat them. They will flutter away. They are gone. God is the only one who has the right to judge us. And yet, rather than judging us, he does something better. Here's what it says. Answer four. Who can judge us? No one. No one. No one can judge us. No one can judge you. Why? Because Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. The only one who could judge us is instead sitting at our side, pleading on our behalf. You are not condemned. You are not judged. But not because God just overlooks sin, not because God just lets it slide, but because God himself enters into it. He dies on a cross to disarm the sin and brokenness that haunts our lives. He enters into it so that he can show that it is not worthy of our souls. It is not worthy of our attention or our time. He enters into it and he rises from the grave to show it has no power. No one condemns you. You have nothing that can cling to you because of what Christ has done for you. Jesus is on our side and nothing can stand against Christ. Nothing can stand against Christ and therefore nothing can stand against us. Nothing can stand in the way of you entering into God's kingdom right here and right now and experiencing the joy and the hope and the freedom and the peace and the love that only he can bring. God is on our side and nothing can stand against God's power at work in our lives or in our church. We have nothing to fear. Nothing can stand in our way. Hear the words of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Who? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Who? And then he closes like this. I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Look how it ends. I stand confidently. Of whom shall I be afraid? I stand confidently because when all else fails us, and I don't know about you, stuff fails me all the time. When all else fails, God won't because Christ didn't. 
He is better. He is undefeated. He faced the power of sin and death. He faced everything that hell could throw his way. And it was what? It was defeated. He rose from the grave undefeated. Christ is better. Name something better than Jesus. Try out the goodness of God and see that it is undefeated. There's nothing else like it. Actually, I want you to test it. Try it out. What's better than Jesus? Hold Jesus up against it. Try it out. You know, I think for me, this, this coming week, I think about, I have lots of meetings. Um, and, and sometimes when I have meetings, I don't know if this is true of you, I, I want to impress people. I want people to think I'm doing a great job. Like I want to lead a meeting in such a way or be in a meeting in such a way that people think, man, he really knows what he is doing. And I think sometimes that my ability to impress others is better than Jesus. And I know that probably sounds silly, but the thing is, you know, sometimes I think we think if God is really good, but, but just in case he decides to take the day off, we better be prepared. And, and the thing is, though, like, I, my ability to impress others is pretty thin, and it wears out pretty fast. And therefore, it is not in any way better than Jesus. My goodness will run out. My better will fail me. It has, it does. But Jesus has done everything that I need him to do. And when I trust in that, I know that my goodness will never compare to his. And that's wonderful because his goodness offers me far more. Test Jesus, try out his better. If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8 answers resoundingly, Nothing and no one, nothing is better than Jesus. I'm gonna invite the band to come up as they prepare to lead us in uh, a closing song, but uh, just a couple of final thoughts from me on this. Um, you know, I, I think when we say that Jesus is better, sometimes it's easy to imagine that like we get everything that we want, and that's not what that means. It doesn't mean we get everything we want. It doesn't mean that everything that we ask for is, comes exactly our way, exactly when we want it. It doesn't mean that we never go through hard things. What it means is that we can face the ups and the downs of life knowing that our confidence is not in ourselves, it's in something better. It's in Jesus. So uh, a week ago, uh, I did a funeral in, uh, in the chapel and um, it was the first time that at least I had done a funeral in the chapels for, for years. And I had completely like forgot what it was like to do a service in the chapel. And there was another pastor uh, who was officiating with me. And as we led the family into the chapel, the other pastor leans over and whispers and says, do we have to sit in those chairs up there? And so some of you know, because, but some of you don't, in our chapel on the back wall, there are two chairs that face the congregation. They're up on the stage. And they're kind of like, you know, like throne chairs sitting there that you got to sit in facing everybody the whole service. And I thought, oh, I, I completely forgot that. I guess we do. And so we go and we sit there. We sit in these two chairs facing the congregation and, and the, the service gets started and we get to uh, early in the service, the first hymn. And there's a hymn that we're going to sing together. And I don't sing and I'm standing there facing the congregation. There are no words on the wall. 
There are no words in the bulletin in my hand and there's not a hymnal in sight. And I've got to stand there and sing a song in front of a hundred people in the chapel and I have no clue what the words were. And so thankfully, about one chorus into the song, I realized, you know what? I know this song. I've, I've, I've sung it thousands of times. I know the words and I was able to follow along and I didn't get every word right, but I got most of them right. No one could tell. And I think the thing about it is we, we go through life and we face the ups and the downs, the stressors, the things that knock us off our game, the things that make us feel like uh, we don't know what we're doing or we're overwhelmed or we're out of place. And, and we forget the words. We forget the truth. We forget the words that we know about Jesus, that if God is for us, who can be against us? And the reason that we come and gather and worship and we tell you this truth every single week is so that when you hit those times that you remember, oh yeah, I know the words. I know this story. I know who I am. Nothing can stand against the God whom I love and who, more importantly, the God who loves me. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Know it. Believe it. Try it out. He will not fail you. Amen.